Metaphors can often make us feel safe. It's just a metaphor. Is it though? This sermon was preached on the 10th of October 2021 from St Mary's Dis, and the passage was that of the rich man who asked Jesus what he should do in order to be saved, taken from Mark's Gospel, chapter 10. You are listening to a sermon from the Pilgrim Path with your preacher Samuel S. Thorpe. May I speak in the name of God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. This reading is one of those classics that so many of us are familiar with, with the image of a camel through the eye of the needle. I don't know about you, but I've heard many sermons on how could a camel fit through the eye of a needle. And to be quite honest, I've never been satisfied by any of the suggestions whether it be a small gate in an outer wall of a city somewhere, or whether it just be a metaphor. The overall sense I get with what Jesus says just after is that for mortals, it is impossible to get a camel through the eye of a needle. And yet all things are possible with God. And too often, I believe, we get caught up in the absurd imagery of a camel and a needle and trying to think it through that we can miss the whole point of what has just come before. Jesus was setting out on a journey. He was going to go someplace else to teach. And this young man comes to him and says, Good teacher, what must I do to be saved? We've heard that Jesus said to him, Essentially, follow the Ten Commandments. Do not kill, do not steal, do not lie, do not commit adultery, do not covet your neighbor's belongings, and honor your father and your mother. And this man said to him, I have done all of these things since my youth. And Jesus says, well, it says that Jesus loved him. That must be encouraging for most of us, particularly those of us who have grown up in the church or spent a long time in the church. We have heard what it is that is required of us. We are, for the most part, good people. Maybe we have one or two little flaws, little quirks that might irritate a few people, but we've not done anything bad. We've not killed anyone, and yes, okay, I eventually got around to paying my parking ticket, but I did do it. We have a sense that actually we're okay. We are good people. And that is true. When you have done all of these things, God looks at us with love. But there's a but coming. There's a change following. Jesus says, but you lack one thing. Give away everything you have, sell it, and give the money to the poor, and then come and follow me. Now, this is not a condemnation of a young man. This is not saying you've missed the whole point of all of the laws. It's not saying that Jesus didn't truly love him on hearing that he had done all that was required of him. But it was saying that we don't stop, ever. We may attain goodness, but we always have to grow in goodness. And for this young man who had 
kept all of the laws and was in a place where he was doing the right thing. Here is the next right thing for him to do. He must give up all his possessions, sell them and give the money to the poor and follow Jesus. And yet he walks away with sadness for he had many possessions. And this is where Jesus is saying to his disciples how difficult it is for the wealthy to enter the kingdom of heaven. And then we come to this absurd image of a camel. How difficult it is for us when we are at a place where we're pretty content with our spiritual lives, with our personal development, to take that next step. And it could be easy for us to move on to the next part of the reading, where Jesus says, well, for mortals it is impossible, but for God all things are possible. And we could use that as a get-out-of-jail-free card. We could say, well, God makes us righteous, and so that is good, and therefore I can be both content with where I am and allow God to do all the hard stuff for me. I used to take a similar approach. But then I had the opportunity to go to a Franciscan friary in Dorset called Hillfield. It was part of a placement I went on for two weeks while I was training to be ordained. When you're surrounded by Franciscans, you're surrounded by the history and the legends of St. Francis, a man who heard God's voice telling him, rebuild my church. And as a part of that, he spent his whole life in poverty, giving away anything that he received and encouraging a growing group of others to do the same. The message of St. Francis is so much more than talking to animals and the birds of the air and all of the cute pictures we see. We have a man that lived in filthy brown robes in poverty. And that's in the past and it's nice to know about it and we can find it an inspirational story. But while I was at this friary, I met a man who was not yet a fall brother. He was not yet a fall Franciscan monk. But he was midway in the process along that journey. And I got speaking to him after one break where we had been building a fence in a field. And I asked him, so what's your story? And he said, well, I, I haven't got a theology degree like you have, Sam. I'm not perhaps as clever and as smart as some other people. But my dad was an atheist and he hated Bibles. When I was at school, I was given a Gideon's Bible, like so many people are. My dad took it and threw it across the room and it fell down behind a cupboard and I left it there. But later on, I found it one night after I was a bit drunk and I had been out. And I discovered it and I put it in my room and the next morning, after I had come to and recovered a bit, I felt drawn to read it. And he opened it up to this story. The young man saying, what do I need to do? And Jesus said, sell everything and give it to the poor. And this man, called Jay, felt challenged by this. And so he gave up almost everything. He cancelled his rent, he gave his notice, he quit his job, he moved out. Just him and his dog. And he lived on the streets for a short while, before ending up staying with his brother, particularly for the sake of looking after his dog. 
He felt that he needed to provide for this dog and that he couldn't quite do it. He spent about a year living with his brother in a spare room with minimal possessions, looking after his dog. But he read this passage again and he felt a real sense of conviction. And so he upped, left a message for his brother, told him that the dog was now his, and walked out and got a bus to London. And he lived on the streets of London for about three years. And all he had was a sleeping bag and a Bible. And he would beg for enough change to buy a coffee and do all of the things that the homeless in London had to deal with. He told me several stories of his time, his encounters. He had a favorite spot where he would sit that was near one of the hospitals. And he would just sit there reading his Bible. And God would bring him people who had had the worst news possible from the hospital, just walk past and find themselves sitting next to this homeless man reading a Bible. He had several relationships with people who had terminal cancer, where he would go in and visit them and pray for them because they had asked him to. He wasn't doing anything. He was just sitting on the streets reading the scriptures. My favorite story was one of where he was going into a public restroom to clean up and freshen up. And as he went in there, he noticed a group of people that he had met before who were getting ready to take drugs in the toilets. And they looked up and they saw him with his bushy beard. And they said, Monk, because that was his name, Monk, you can't be in here. And he said, I don't want no trouble. Let me wash up and I'll leave you to it. And they said, no, we have to find somewhere else. He was like, I, I don't want any trouble. No, no, you're a man of God. You're a Christian guy. You coming in here has made this holy. We can't do drugs in here. We'll find somewhere else. And they upped and left. And his story took him in time to explore becoming a Franciscan monk. I don't know what happened to him after I spoke with him, after I met with him for those two weeks. But he really challenged me on the meaning of this passage, a passage which we tend to try and take in a spiritual and metaphorical way to make us feel more comfortable. Because he sold and gave away everything that he had. Does that mean that we need to do the same? Well, I'm not saying that we should all go and make ourselves homeless on the streets of London. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't do that. There's a balance here between the difficulties of what is demanded of the gospel and the grace that we have received from Jesus Christ. For he says that by God all things are possible. And in our reading from Hebrews, we heard that we have confidence, for we have a great high priest who was tested in every respect just as we are, who knows what is in the human heart. He has sympathy with us. And when we think about the consequences of the Christian faith, that bit which we cannot do for ourselves because it is too hard for us, it's not that God waves a magic wand and takes it all away, but that God takes the hard path. It becomes a human being called Jesus to live just like us. And that will take him in time to the cross where he will have been mocked beaten, scourged, and forced to carry his own cross through the streets just so that he could die for you 
and for me. There is no get-out-of-jail-free card. The options are simple. Either we are able to be perfect and to do everything, everything by ourselves, or we trust in the one who has done everything for us. But trusting in him, we hear a God who says, you are doing great, I love you. But do the next right thing. Keep on growing. Because through all that you do as you follow my son, Jesus Christ, you may go through persecutions, you may go through difficulties, but you will come through into eternal life. And so I would like to challenge each and every one of us this week to think about what is the next right thing for us to do. It might be financial. It might be something different. I'm sure that as I'm speaking, you probably have a slight sense of something that you would rather not have to lean into or engage with or deal with. But I'd like to encourage you to do the next right thing, because it will be worth it. When it comes to our finances, let us be generous. We're only here for a short while on earth, and in the world around us we can see that things are indeed difficult. We've had the fuel crisis of the last couple of weeks. We have the fear-mongering about what's going to happen with supermarkets, and people are uncertain as to where their next meal is going to come from. If we have any ability to help, may we be challenged to help. And if we believe that the gospel of Jesus Christ is important, not just for today and for now, but for our eternal salvation, and perhaps we would consider giving generously to the mission of the church as well. But Jesus is our great high priest. And he enables us to approach the throne of grace with boldness. So whatever it is that you're going to grow and focus on doing the next right thing, I encourage you as we come to communion, approach with boldness. Know that you are loved by your Father in heaven because of what your, his Son, Jesus Christ, has done for us with his death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave. He has made a way for us to taste the, thos, the four fruits of heaven in the Eucharist. When I'm saying those prayers, I'm saying those prayers as a priest in the Church of England. But the words, this is my body, this is my blood, broken and shed for you, are truly spoken by our great High Priest, which is Jesus. So let us come before him in the Eucharist and hear him say to us, follow me because I love you. Amen.